Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The latest from 7 News with Angela Cox. Good evening and welcome. Tonight, Melbourne meetings underway to map the road out of the lockdown. Unmasked, Sydney's COVID patient zero fine for breaching restrictions. The new numbers, what Australians really think of lockdowns, border closures and the vaccine rollout. And celebrations in Perth, the home of the 2021 AFL Grand Final. But first, a path out of Victoria's sixth lockdown is right now being mapped by officials as the state records its first COVID death this year. The plan will be revealed tomorrow. We know, though, it'll be gradual, relying on low case numbers. This will not be Freedom Day. It will not be an opening up type uh, day. Uh, it'll be modest changes that hopefully can be meaningful in people's lives. Tegan Dolling is in Melbourne for us tonight. Tegan, do we have an idea of what restrictions might be the first to go? And it looks like the rules regarding playgrounds may be one of the first that will be scrapped. It was really controversial when the Chief Health Officer brought in the, the ban around playgrounds because it was that one bit of reprieve that children as well as parents really had with schools uh, obviously closed here in Victoria. It looked like they are going to remain closed for some time. So it's likely uh, playgrounds will be able to reopen. There's also looks like there's going to be a change to the travel limit. At the moment, Melbournians can only travel five kilometres from their home. It looks like they, that may be extended to around 10 kilometres and it's also likely that we may be able to catch up with friends again uh, in public spaces in places like parks but very unlikely that we're going to be able to do that uh, in anybody's home because we know that a lot of the uh, COVID outbreaks and the passing on of COVID has been inside family homes. As you said the Premier uh, has warned it is going to be a very slow road map out and there is going to be uh, different rules is what we understand from different council areas, places that have uh, COVID hotspots and also people that have vaccina uh, have already been vaccinated and just likely they're going to get a little bit more freedom than those who haven't. And Tegan, a deadly turn in this most recent outbreak. What do we know about the victims? This is very sad, Ange. It's actually our first COVID death since November last year. Two women. One lady was in her uh, 60s, the other in her 40s, and they have both died in their homes after contracting COVID. Now, we still don't have full details. It's understood, uh, we don't know yet, sorry, whether they uh, have been vaccinated or if they had any underlying health issues. We should get those details uh, hopefully tomorrow. But Ange, that brings our COVID death toll here in Victoria to 822. An awful number. Okay, thanks so much, Tegan. Sydney's Patient Zero, the airport limousine driver who sparked the Bondi cluster leading to the current outbreak, has been fined for a COVID breach. Serena Andaloro has more on this story now. Serena, what can you tell us? 
And good evening to you. 63-year-old Michael Podgotsky, that limo driver, he has been caught out in public again, uh, not wearing a mask. These pictures uh, taken by the Daily Telegraph. He was waiting at a bus stop in Bondi when he was confronted by a Daily Telegraph journalist. He then put on his mask, but police slapped him with a $500 fine. Now, he maintains he's, in fact, not patient zero, that he caught the virus somehow out in the community. It is important to note he's become a bit of a scapegoat that technically he wasn't breaking any rules when he was transporting those international air crew to hotel quarantine without a mask, uh, unvaccinated. His case really highlighting the flaws in the government's health orders at the time. Indeed. Okay. And there were dozens of small protests across New South Wales today. Serena, it was a busy day for police. It was, Ange, 80 unauthorised gatherings with protesters targeting uh, Parliament House, council chambers. There were silent protests in Ballina and in Byron Bay. So around the city and around the state, protesters uh, calling for an end to force vaccinations. They're also calling for an end to lockdowns. Take a listen. Freedom of choice. I don't want to be forced to take a needle. I'm a construction worker. I'm currently... I'm unable to go back to work unless I get the jab. And you it's, don't want to get the jab? Absolutely not. We're just asking for a little bit of freedom because it doesn't make sense. You're allowed to go to a park if you get jabbed for an extra hour. What's that? I'm happy to wear a mask. I'm happy to sanitise. I'm happy to wear a whole suit if you want. Just let me out. They are, of course, and perfectly entitled to their views. We do live in a democracy, but under the health orders, police were perfectly entitled to issue them with 600 fines. Mm. OK, Serena Angelora in Sydney for us. Thank you. The Queensland government has again been accused of double standards for letting an entourage of sports stars and their wives and girlfriends cross the border despite a ban on all other interstate arrivals. Alex Lewis joins us now from Brisbane. Alex, the Premier once again under fire for bending her state's strict rules to accommodate the high-profile visitors. Good evening, Andrew. This certainly has generated a lot of outrage and heartbreak. The whole reason for this temporary ban on any arrivals who didn't have an exemption was because our hotel quarantine system was under strain. Authorities put that two-week ban in place last week, saying that uh, they just simply couldn't handle the influx of people trying to relocate to Queensland. So when a plane load of wives and girlfriends of NRL players arrived yesterday, that certainly whipped up a lot of anger from the thousands Thousands of Queenslanders who were stranded interstate and, and um, you know, uncertain when they'll be reunited with their loved ones. Some are even calling for the game to be boycotted to send a message to our leaders, Ange. And the opposition leader took aim at the Premier in question time today. Let's take a listen. But if there's room for sporting families, there's room for Queensland families. End of story. It was almost like... Honest Queenslanders were political pawns. We want people to come home when it's safe to do so, Mr Speaker. Alex, as you said, this is a real slap in the face for families who are being kept apart, some of them under really heartbreaking circumstances. Yes, well, people like Carol Bain, she's building her dream home at the moment in Queensland and she has now no idea when she'll actually be able to get there. Take a listen. I was absolutely devastated when I heard that. I'm just so angry. It's so wrong. Uh, rules for one, rules for another. My husband and my daughter were flying in Thursday to do their 14 days. Now they're stuck in their fails and they're homeless. 
you're letting people in here because they're making the government money. While they're here, you're making your money. Yes, well, that pause on uh, interstate arrivals is due to end next Wednesday, the 8th of September. It's unclear, Ange, how the government plans to manage the huge backlog of people trying to flee other states. OK, Alex Lewis in Brisbane for us. Thank you. The only way out of lockdowns and these border closures is our vaccine rollout. Australians have now had more than 19.3 million doses of the COVID vaccine and just under 2 million of them in the past week. In 60 days on the 30th of October, 70% of eligible adults are on track to be vaccinated. In 77 days on the 16th of November, we are expected to reach 80%. Meeting those targets when the country can roll back restrictions depends on willingness and supply. Singapore is throwing Australia a lifeline, agreeing to send over half a million doses of Pfizer. The shipment arrives this week. Rob Scott is with us from Canberra. Rob, there is a catch. We will be giving it back eventually. Yeah, we will, Ange. It's essentially a dose swap. So Singapore will send 500,000 doses to us this week before they expire, and we'll then send half a million doses back to them once our stock levels are higher in December. It's really a win-win because uh, more than 80% of the population of Singapore is already fully vaccinated, so parting with those doses won't impact them, and we need as much Pfizer as we can get right now to help accelerate our vaccination program and reach the 70 to 80% targets that trigger the reopening of the country. Now, the Prime Minister says the extra doses will be shared across the states based on population. This will greatly assist the national vaccination program as it brings in two important age groups into the program, 16 to 30, 29s, which, are, have already, which begin, have already begun this week, and of course the 12 to 15 year olds. The new deal comes just a couple of weeks after the government bought a million extra Pfizer doses from Poland. Scott Morrison says he's already got several other irons in the fire, so we can expect more announcements like this in the coming weeks. Like the sound of that. And Rob, the deadline for vaccinating aged care workers, it's looming. It is, Anja. There's less than three weeks to go before the sector's no-jab, no-work deadline kicks in and 60,000 aged care workers still haven't been vaccinated. And there are now serious doubts all of them will get the jab in time. That, as the Australian Medical Association today called for it to be made compulsory for all healthcare workers to get a jab. Currently, 15% of nurses still haven't. Quite incredible. OK, thank you so much. Rob Scott. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This year's AFL Grand Final is officially on the move with confirmation tonight. The decider will be played at Perth's Optus Stadium for the first time. CEO Gil McLaughlin says the MCG just wasn't an option due to Melbourne's COVID outbreak. It's become clear as we continue to navigate through these challenges that it wouldn't be in the best interests of the community to host a Grand Final at the MCG this year in front of a crowd. 
Andrew McCormack is in Melbourne for us tonight. Andrew, this is only the second time in history the grand final hasn't been played at the MCG. Oh, Ange, we knew it was coming, but uh, it still doesn't make it hurt any less. Uh, officially made uh, announcement today that uh, Perth and Optus Stadium will host the uh, the grand final. Last year it was up at the Gabba, this year in Brisbane. So uh, what makes it even more painful for Victorians is knowing that we'll probably still be in lockdown come September 25. So, uh, I mean, your thoughts go out to uh, Melbourne supporters who have gone through 57 years of heartbreak there. Premiership favourites uh, are still a long way to go, but uh, very likely to be in the grand final at least. And, you know, these, these fans who have suffered for decades uh, will not only be unable to go to the game, but they'll be likely stuck uh, just watching with uh, friends or just family only uh, in lockdown. So uh, that makes it even more tough. The AFL um, compensating the Victorian government by uh, adding another year to the grand final contract. So the uh, grand final will stay at the MCG uh, till 2059, but uh, it's little compensation for uh, another year in lockdown and uh, just another blow to Victorians. Yeah, salt to the wounds. OK, thanks so much, Andrew. Let's go to Rory Campbell in Perth now. Rory, people in Victoria are heartbroken. What's been the reaction there? There's been a mixture of emotions today, Ange, but I'd have to say the overwhelming one is one of excitement. I'm at the pub here with a few Port fans now. How are we feeling about the grand final coming to Perth, guys? There's, there's no Eagles or Dockers left over in the finals, so a lot of Perth are getting behind the other teams. This pub here is uh, getting behind Port Adelaide and other pubs around town will be doing the same thing. So certainly a lot of excitement. West Australians feel like they've deserved this chance for a long time. The passion's been here for decades. We've had this world-class stadium for a few years now, so we feel like we deserve this chance. But that's certainly tempered a little bit by the reasons that it's come here. Of course, West Australian hearts go out to everyone on the East Coast, and the fact that it's come here because of the COVID situation in Victoria Victoria is certainly uh, something that the West Australians are feeling and so everyone's heart goes out to the people in Victoria. But a lot of excitement around town. This is a chance for Western Australia to put itself on the map on the national stage and who knows, maybe even the international stage, Edge. Maybe so. Uh, Rory, how is game day going to play out with the time difference? Yeah, look, we don't have a bounce down, official bounce down just yet, but we're expecting somewhere around 5.15 local time here in Perth, which will be 7.15 on the East Coast. That should help give it a bit of balance, maybe utilise the capacity of Optus Stadium and the spectacular showcase that can put on, particularly at night time, but also be friendly for an East Coast audience as well. Uh, the grand final isn't the only thing that's coming here to Perth. The Brownlow medal count will be held out of Perth on the Sunday before the game, and there's also talk about a grand final parade being held in Perth. Exactly what shape that takes is being worked out at the moment, but uh, a big opportunity for Perth, and I'm sure we're going to put ourselves, uh, put our best foot forward and make sure this is a grand final to remember. Ange? Well, good to see that there are some happy footy fans somewhere in the country. Thanks so much, Rory. The loved ones of an Australian soldier killed in a training accident in Townsville are expressing their grief tonight. Private Brendan Payne has been remembered as a hard-working family man with a heart of gold. The 29-year-old and an unidentified warrant officer died when their tactical truck rolled. A Melbourne woman is in police custody after a man was stabbed at a tram stop in Hawthorne this morning. The man, believed to be in his 40s, was taken to hospital as detectives set up a crime scene. He has an injured arm and upper body but is in a stable condition. And actor and director Russell Crowe's latest production has been forced to shut down with only six days of shooting left. An unvaccinated crew member tested positive to COVID after being on set in Barangaroo for several days. 
Poker Face starring Crow and Liam Hemsworth was due to film in the Illawarra, south of Sydney, today. We've almost reached the official end of a busy earnings season. Harvey Norman among those reporting a record profit. Finance editor Gemma Acton joins me now on the desk. Gemma, the retailer had a very attractive headline grabbing result for investors, but there was one figure that was kind of hidden. There was, uh, although it jumped straight to the top of the headlines anyway. This is Harvey Norman's decision to repay the $6 million it received in JobKeeper last year. There's been mounting pressure on companies that have received JobKeeper, but then also notched up record profits or perhaps paid bumper dividends or bonuses out uh, and there's no obligation to return the money. It's estimated that $13 billion has been paid to 200,000 companies that uh, actually saw their turnover rise over the period um, but certainly that public pressure is mounting and Harvey Norman isn't the first to voluntarily return the money. We've seen Nick Scarly, Domino's Pizza and Super Retail Group among others who have returned some or all of the JobKeeper funds. It took a while though. There was a lot of public pressure <laughs> for was. Harvey Norman. Now, um, how do you rate in general the performance of our big businesses over the past sort of 18 months of COVID? Yeah, so this is an interesting time of year because it's the main earning season we get each year where we get a snapshot of how companies have performed over the past year and generally an outlook of what they think might be ahead. Generally speaking, there were some strong profits this time. Several companies delivered record profits, not least retailers who really benefited from the online shopping boom and miners also did particularly well given soaring commodity prices. A lot of those profits translated into extra dividends for shareholders, so money going straight back to investors. It looks like more than $34 billion worth of dividends will be paid out this year. And to put that in perspective, last year it was around half that, around $17 billion. So a big uplift there. Where it gets dicier is looking at the outlook. Mm. Completely understandably, management has been very coy uh, about what they think is ahead. It's really hard to tell when the economy is going to reopen, when international borders are going to reopen. So most companies were very hesitant to provide any sort of guidance. We did get a glimpse from some of the major retailers like Norman, like JB Hi-Fi, Target, Kmart, who did exceptionally well last year. Uh, and they've said that since this new financial year started in July, it's been much slower than what we saw last year. Mm. Now, this is interesting. A million Aussies are putting their retirement savings into failing funds. <laughs> Um, this is frightening. Well, yes, the Prudential Regula Regulator, APRA, um, has just released its first performance test results. And what this does is it compares each My Super Fund to a relevant benchmark. And of the 76 funds that it's looked at, um, it says that 13 have failed. And it's a very blunt assessment. There's no degree of failure. You either pass or you fail. Uh, these funds have 28 days to notify their members that they failed. So members uh, are aware and then they can take the decision if they need to investigate somewhere else to put their super for the time being. And there's a lot of money wrapped up in that. As you said, over a million Australians, around $56 billion worth of super. Uh, and of the 13 funds on the list, there is a real mix of for-profit retail funds and not-for-profit industry funds. Two are in the Commonwealth Bank stable, uh, one run by Westpac and run, one run by BT. Oh, okay, well thanks so much Gemma. Thanks. The last U.S. evacuation flight has left Afghanistan signalling the end of America's longest war. In surreal scenes, Taliban militants took over Hamid Karzai airport wearing U.S. uniforms, commentating as jets left the runway. Joe Biden's critics say Afghanistan is more dangerous now than when U.S. troops arrived in 2001.
As millions of Australians wait for our delayed vaccine rollout to end lockdowns, the French are well ahead of us, already living with COVID. Europe Bureau Chief Hugh Whitfield joins me live now from Paris on the top of a bus. Hugh, you're killing me. It seems like life is back to normal there. What's it like? Bonsoir, Angela. Yeah, life is pretty much back to normal. And just to prove we are in Paris, that's its most famous landmark, just over our shoulder here. We're stopped just at the bottom of the Trocadero right now uh, by the sand. And as you can tell, um, there is still, uh, there's plenty of tourists around here uh, enjoying a European summer here in the French capital. Uh, we're told by tour operators that there's plenty of French locals who've made... Uh, the opportunity or made, made use of the opportunity during this summer here to come to Paris. Plenty of French and Dutch as well. Plenty of Americans too. And in order to get into France with uh, most, uh, the most easy way to get into Paris, uh, France, you'd say, is to be double vaccinated. And once here, uh, that certainly does open plenty of doors. Um, we've been speaking to the operator of this uh, bus company and he says they do hope after 10 months of lockdown over the last 18 months that they won't be going back into it. Tourists that are in France, they, are less, uh, they have to follow some rules. So the ones that are coming to activities, museum or big bus tour, they are having like sanitary pass or PCR tests. So we are asking them if they have or not. We are keeping the social distancing so people can have the social distancing. And if we need to put some more uh, capacity, we are able to do that. Hugh, you're just showing off with that Eiffel Tower there, but on a serious note, what is the secret to freedom there now? So the secret is the pass sanitaire uh, that you just heard there, and it roughly translates as health pass. In some countries, it might be referred to as a vaccination passport. It's loaded with a QR code on your phone, uh, and it proves that you've been double vaccinated, and it means that you can access cafes, restaurants, museums, theatres... Uh, it means that you can get into department stores. It'll even allow you to uh, go on a long-distance train as well. If you aren't double vaccinated, then you're going to have to go and get a rapid test every three days and load that result into the app as well to give you uh, the green tick to go into those venues. So really there's no excuse not to use the pass because if you don't want to get the vaccination or you can't get the vaccination for health reasons, you can really easily go and get a free test. Having said that, more than three of people here in France are double vaccinated. They started off slow here on the continent in Europe. They've chased down uh, Britain in terms of that really fast, really high vaccination rate. And it's having a massive difference because this is what living with COVID looks like. It, this is not a classic tourist area where we are right now, but there's still people out and about. There is still traffic and there is still 17,000 cases a day uh, and the hospitals are not overloaded. They're at about 45% capacity, the intensive care units here in France. So it shows that the vaccination is having an impact. People just aren't getting as sick as they were uh, compared to previous waves. And that means on, on Thursday here in France, the schools are going to go re uh, reopen en masse. So all the students are going to go back. All the students over the age of 12 can get vaccinated. And government ministers now actively telling people they've got to go back to the office. So there's no excuse not to get outside, live with COVID. We're just coming past some ca cafes here now and they're pretty busy. Late afternoon, a late lunch trade. Uh, so if you come here to Paris, if you can get out of Australia, obviously, it's, I know it's tough. Um, but the world is reopening 
and they are relying on double vaccination to get things moving. Well, sadly, for a long time for most of us, you're the closest we're getting to Paris right now, but we appreciate the effort you've gone to to show us through the streets, and it is hopeful that that's in our future. Hopefully, once enough people get vaccinated, but the link's dropping out a little bit, which is your excuse to go and enjoy Paris. Thank you, Hugh. <laughs> Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Young Australians are now bearing the brunt of job losses, social mobility and mental health, saying they now fear the impact of lockdowns more than the virus. That's according to a News Corp poll that surveyed thousands of people across the country about the pandemic and the vaccine rollout. Editor of Sydney's Daily Telegraph, Ben English, joins me now. Ben, some fascinating insights here. What surprised you most? I think it's the support for the vaccination program is overwhelming, but more interestingly, it's support for people to have rights if they're vaccinated and perhaps not to have rights if they're not vaccinated. Let's have a look at some of these. The main reason so far that Australians haven't been vaccinated. Yeah, so 49% believe it's because the, the rollout was flawed. In other words, um, we didn't get the vaccines, we didn't procure them early enough and the whole thing was delayed. And I think um, the, the interesting thing also is that the reluctance. So 37% of people believe that it's the reluctance, there's that hesitancy that uh, kicked in, particularly when uh, Atagi, for example, said, um, actually, we'd prefer you to take Pfizer than AstraZeneca, and AstraZeneca then became the bad brand. Mm. What do they think about moving forward? Well, interestingly, they believe that vaccines overwhelmingly are the key. 64% believe that vaccines are what is going to get us out of this. Only 22% believe that lockdowns are actually the key. So to me, that tells us that we've actually moved along, um, particularly, I think, on the East Coast, in terms of uh, where people are positioned. Um, we're used to now having very high case numbers, particularly in Sydney. Um, and so I think people are looking ahead to saying, well, I think they've bought Gladys's line, that vaccines really are, and they are the key. Something really surprising here, the support for vaccine passports. Mm. We've seen this introduced overseas, like in France, riding on the streets, but um, some surprising results here in Australia. Yeah, very surprising. Um, I didn't believe there'd be 66%, two in three people, two in three people, believe that vaccine passports should be the way to go. In other words, when you go into a cafe or a hotel or if you want to uh, catch a plane, 
you need a vaccine passport. Um, also interesting um, results about what freedoms we should get when we are fully vaccinated. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've asked them about borders, we've asked them about overseas travel and lockdowns, and all, on all three of those questions, there's a real, uh, there's a stark support for vaccinated people to be granted the freedoms. So, for example, state borders. 62% believe only vaccinated people should be able to go across those borders. Then you look at um, overseas travel. Once again, 68% of people believe only vaccinated people should be able to go overseas. This is really divisive. Mandated vaccine. Should workplaces be able to force staff to get vaccinated? What are the results show? Interestingly, it has 45% support. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot. It's less than a majority. But if you look at who's opposed, there's only 23% opposed. Twice as many people support mandated vaccinations. So again, I, I'm, I'm surprised that that's as high a figure as that. In other words, people really want to get on with it. We see protesting on the streets today, but what are you hearing from your readers? People are recognising there's a broader cost than just the, the risk of getting COVID. They're realising that there's mental health um, issues are massive. Um, they're realising that the education of their kids is getting compromised. And they're also realising their job, there's going to be significant job losses if these lockdowns continue. Job keepers run out. So our, our readers are saying we need to get that balance right. They understand that at the vaccination levels that we're at now, we can't just let it rip. But they're also saying that we need to start that transition and we need to start being transparent about what's ahead. Mm. And if we want to go through these uh, results anymore, tomorrow's papers. Absolutely. Get the Daily Telegraph. OK. Thanks so much for coming in. Cheers. Now Gemma Acton's back with a look at the markets. Thanks, Andrew. Another day of green across the board in Asia today, despite weak data coming out of China. The latest manufacturing and services numbers disappointed, coming in at their weakest since the earliest days of the pandemic in February 2020. And after setting fresh record highs again last night, Wall Street is gearing up to take another leg higher, putting it on track to close out August as another month of strong returns. Oil is slipping in this session, that's after having run up in recent days on the Hurricane Ida fallout. Damage from its rain, flooding and winds have caused 12% of US capacity to shut down. And the Aussie dollar continues to strengthen, it's now buying 73.3 US cents. Ange. Thank you for your company this evening. From the team here at 7 News, that is the latest. I'm Angela Cox. Good night.